Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie in the house. Welcome, 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 welcome. A welcome for each of my special guests. We are live streaming on LinkedIn and Facebook. So happy to be here with a very special edition of Technology Revolution. Actually, every week is a special edition, but this is near and dear to me because I've always been interested in authors, in publishing. I started interviewing authors about 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago even on radio. And at that time, they were seeking large established publishing houses to represent them, to to talk about their their book tours, to get the marketing out. And in recent years, publishing on demand, self-publishing has taken hold. We all know about, we don't even need to have a paper book anymore, hard copy, paperback. You can have what's called an ebook. And when I interview authors, I tell them, don't send me hard copy. My bookshelves are full. Send me an ebook, a PDF through Kindle, through EPUB, all kinds of ways. So let me give you a little history of this. Yes, we're talking today about the future of self publishing. And I'm calling this episode a real page turner. And I think it will. I've got a phenomenal panel here who came together through the generosity of two of the gentlemen on the panel. But let me give my opening monologue. Here's the buzz. And this is from a website I found called IzzardInc.com, Izzard Inc., like lizard with two Zs and without the L. Here we go. Ten years ago, ebooks made up less than 1% of the trade book market, yet they now make up 40 to 50% of units sold. Think about that. From less than 1%, 40 to 50. In genres like fantasy, romance, and science fiction, traditional publishers have lost their former iron grip on the industry. Successful major authors are even choosing to self-publish. And as smartphone ownership expands internationally, and who doesn't have a smartphone or who doesn't think they have a smartphone, so will the market for ebooks. A dig- as digital books move away from traditional paper format, which I talked about, that inspired them, hey, everybody read a great book and they want to write one, books could take advantage of the capabilities of digital services, listen to this, by offering color, interactivity, connectivity, shareability, and new features we cannot even imagine. So I've invited five special people, if you're watching us on LinkedIn or Facebook or just listening on Voice America Business Channel, I'll tell you who they are. We're going to speak in just a moment to publisher Eddie Vincent. Eddie, Thank you for helping to put this together. You've been on other shows with me, and I was so intrigued with what you do that I invited you back. Thank you. We have novelist Ursula Wong. Ursula, you can wave I to the viewing audience. There we go. We have ghostwriter and novelist Jeff Deck. Hello, Jeff. Wave. Thank you. We have novelist Barbara Struna. Barbara, wave there. She's up in Cape Cod. We'll find out where everybody else is. And we have indie writer Dale T. Phillips. Dale, I always keep my middle initial D. I'm keeping your T. And Dale is the collaborator with Eddie Vincent who helped to bring the panel together. And that's one of the reasons Dale is here. He's also a writer, but he's a a collaborator. So thank you very much for their take on the future of self-publishing. Ariel Page Turner. I am Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Let's go around the table. Panelists, I'm going to say since there are so many of you, we want to get to your predictions sooner rather than later. Let's make our bios about two minutes long. I'm not clocking you. And my engineer, Aaron (laughs) Keller at Voice America, Dale, 
Aaron is very polite and he will not cut you off if you go past two minutes on your bio. I'm just talking to Dale about that. I think everybody else will behave. I'm not so sure about Dale. I'm, I've known him 18 minutes and I'm not sure he's going to behave. I don't know. I have no sense of humor, Dale. You're in a lot of trouble. Eddie Vincent, I'm putting you on speaker view. Eddie, thank you for putting this together with Dale. And Eddie, in case there are 10 people in the world who don't remember you from the last time you were on my show, shame on them. Talk to those 10 people. Eddie, you're up. Go ahead. Will, will, will do, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Eddie Vincent. Uh, I uh, own Encircle Publication and ENC Graphic Service. Today, we're talking about self. I'm, I'm putting on my graphic hat. Uh, I help I help people format, do eBooks, and anything that needs self-publishing. I counsel them on the best way of doing their product so it can get out to the wild world. Um, I've been in gra- the graphic business for 30 years. Basically, I grew up in the business. My dad owned the newspaper, so I've I've been doing all of this for my whole life, um, and that's pretty much me in a nutshell. It's all about graphics, all about publishing. Thank you, Eddie. And I was intrigued when I met you and, and your company in Circle. I was intrigued that you help people self-publish. I, I'm glad to hear that, that somebody is helping. I'm a, I'm a wannabe novelist, by the way. I started writing, but I'm having so much fun doing the setup, I never got to the crime yet. So I'm 2,000 words into a novella, and, and then nobody has died. So I'm probably doing it all wrong. Maybe you could, Ursula's thinking, oh, my God, is she going down the wrong path? I can, I'm seeing you, Ursula. <laughs> Ursula Wong, speaking of that, Ursula, I'm putting you on full speaker view dear thank you for joining us i know you're in florida somewhere you can tell us where if you want ursula why don't you do a brief introduction who you are and why are you here ursula so happy to be here um i'm ursula wong i started out as a farmer i became a mathematician i was a communication systems analyst for the government i went into computer architecture and now i write historical fiction and i love to mix women with an agenda history of Eastern Europe and Russia, and current events into stories that compel and entertain and maybe even inform. So my Amber War series starts with a largely unknown World War II story. And this is about the Soviet occupation of Eastern Europe and my ancestral Lithuania, when farmers took stolen weapons to fight Stalin's massive uh, Red Army that were occupying, occupying the area, occupying the country. So um, I write about uh, resistance after the World War II ended, and um, I talk about um, the world being at peace and resistance fighting continuing in Eastern Europe. I write about modern topics. I write about all the nuclear waste buried in the woods of Eastern Europe during the Soviet occupation and what a terrorist group might do with that. I write about pipeline cyber terrorism. So you all have heard about the colonial pipeline hack. It's going on in the news right now. Uh, Black Amber is about pipeline cyber terrorism. So if you want to understand, get it all broken down for you, read Black Amber. It's about a different pipeline, but pipeline cyber terrorism is essentially the same no matter where it happens. Mm -hmm. I write about um, Russia reacting to Chinese land grabs in their backyard. And my current work in progress is the face of espionage today in Russia and Eastern Europe. So these are the topics of historical fiction that grab my socks. And for more on what's been and what's to be, look at my website, UrsulaWong.wordpress.com. 
Thank you, Ursula. Fascinating. They, I've heard right about what you know. And if you're a history buff, that's something that you have focused on. But I'm so intrigued with your background, farmer, mathematician, involved in the computer industry. I have a similarly eclectic background. Never, I was too shy to even talk to anybody, much less broadcast. And here I am. So you and I have to talk about a lot of our backgrounds. Thank you very much, Ursula. Pleasure to have you. Jeff Deck, I'm going to say something you probably hear all the time. Jeff is up on deck next. I'm sorry. I had to say that. <laughs> oh, oh, he groaned. He groaned. <laughs> Jeff, please, please forgive me. Jeff, we, we don't have any fun on the show. I warned you. Jeff, I'm putting you on full speaker. Please do me the honor of introducing yourself to my audience. Go ahead, Jeff. Welcome. Sure. And, and I've had to deal with the same jokes when being on like a company <laughs> softball team. So, you know, I've been there. <laughs> so my, my name is Jeff Deck. I'm a... Uh, fiction ghostwriter and editor. I'm also a writing coach. Um, so I help people tell their stories. And uh, I'm a, uh, an author myself. I've written several books. The uh, cover of the first book in my Shadow of Portsmouth urban fantasy series is uh, behind me on the, on the fireplace mantle there. Uh, someone was kind enough to make a, a little uh, framed poster of uh, the cover of City of Ports. Um, I, the book that I'm the most famous for uh, is a book called The Great Typo Hunt that was uh, published through Random House that was the true story of uh, hunting down and fixing typos around the country that uh, uh, I, I wrote with a good friend of, mine, friend of mine, Benjamin, who was along on the journey as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can find out more about my books or if you're interested in getting some help finishing your novel, let's say that uh, you're writing a mystery and you don't get to the body yet. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> you can just to go me? to jeffdeck.com. <laughs> you're talking to me. I deserve that. Thank you. I'm sorry for the corny joke and the pun. I just, I couldn't help. I, no, did, I love it. I, I did stand, I used to do stand up in a, in a chain of bookstores. I won't, and it started with the same letter as book. And uh, my comedians and I were thrown out. We were blackballed because somebody used a word. Somebody brought a 10 year old child to the show and it wasn't dirty, but there was a word that one woman, and found offensive, so she blackballed us at all, all the bookstores on Long Island. And we used to have to tell, we used to have to, one of the managers said, you come if you tell me all the jokes, your comedians, I had a troop of eight people, all the jokes are going to say in advance so we can make sure we can do a language check. Talking about searching for typos, Jeff, talking about no, and, and we didn't even get into free speech, but we don't do politics on this show. Jeff, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much. We'll talk about what you do more. Barbara Struner is here. Barbara, up in Cape Cod, love to know what the weather is there. You told me it's nice. It's raining here in Durham, so I think I'm coming to see you. Barbara, please introduce yourself. Sure. It, it is a beautiful day. It's, it's sunny, and it's probably in the 60s and might get even to the 70s here on the Cape. Not all... Not as high as Boston, but we have always that sea breeze that comes through. And um, I am a historical fiction author. I love history. It's my passion. And I'm mostly enthralled to find remnants of history when I explore the back roads and fire roads of old Cape Cod or even wherever I travel. It's the first thing I do. I don't want to go to the shopping centers. I want to go see the oldest place there is that I can go and discover and explore. And so um, my novels are based on myths and lore from Cape Cod and other interesting places. I have children that live in California and Alaska, so I do a lot of traveling, not so much this past year, but thanks to Zoom, I'm able to see them every day. 
So my books are based on my personal experiences wherever I go. I always glean something from where I visited or traveled to and incorporated it into my books. I write in alternating chapters. My modern-day heroine, she finds something, the next chapter, you're going to meet the person or the or from where that item is coming from in which century. I was traditionally published uh, back in 2013 and 14, and then they closed. And I was forced to become a self-publisher in 30 days or I would lose my books completely offline everywhere. And so that's what I did. So I kept going. I'm on my fourth novel that's coming out in, uh, on May 18th, a historical fiction. And I've been able to publish a few other books on the side, a little bit different, a memoir from my sister. And also, um, I didn't publish it, but I got into Chicken Soup for the Soul. But it was about a book that was read on a call to a credit card company from India, the operator was. And at the very end of the call, he said, you know, can I ask you a question? Sure. Are you the author of The Old Cape House? I said, you got to be kidding me. Is this a ploy or what? (laughs) So anyway, that's how I got into Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, Divine interventions, miracles or whatever. Uh, It was just amazing. And that book was out in 2013. It does have a life of its own, and he found it in an old used bookshop in, in uh, wherever he was in India. So it's amazing what happens. But anyway, fast forward over the years, I'm president of Cape Cod Writers Center since 2016. Um, I am a guest on a lot of literary panels talking about mostly the uh, sometimes the business of writing, and um, I try to help my uh, fellow members that are in the organization to what's the best path for them to travel on to get their book out there. And so that's what I've done. I've been successful and hopefully I can, can continue to be successful in the sale of my books. Wow. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, thank you very much, Barbara. I'm impressed at your leadership in a writing organization and your passion for helping. It sounds like everybody is invested in helping other people be successful in publishing, and that's why you're here. We're not giving advice. I'm telling our, our viewers, we're not giving advice. We're just sharing insights of people who know what this is all about. Dale T. Phillips, I am ready for you. Dale, please do us the honor of telling us what you do, who are you, what's your involvement in publishing, and how did you know all these wonderful people to help Eddie invite them? Go ahead, Dale. Oh, thank you, Bonnie, and all the listeners. Yes, the thing is, is I'm very active in all the writing organizations, mostly in New England and, and in others, and through various contacts, I've met all the people on this panel and pulled them into the circle, and I would like to connect as many writers as possible to help everyone. The rising tide lifting all boats, as it were. I'm Dale T. Phillips. I write novels, short stories, nonfiction. Uh, My tagline is scary books and murderous crooks. (laughs) I had Stephen King as a writing teacher. I've been on Jeopardy, losing spectacularly. (laughs) And I've also been in a feature film. That's uh, that's my background, and it's very. Wait, 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 which which film? Which film? You can't say that without telling us. The Where do we find it? The film is called Throg, T H R O G, and while not being the worst movie ever made, it's one of those <laughs> really awful ones that that can be a cult classic if you watch it in the proper frame of mind, uh, with altered uh, you know chemistry. I think it, it probably makes a lot more sense to people. But yes, it it is available, and it's a time traveling idiot. 
Dale, that's very interesting. I have to tell you, there's a bridge. I'm not selling you a bridge, dear, but there's a bridge on Long Island between Westchester and Queens called the Throgs Neck Bridge. Throgs Neck Bridge, yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, I, I used to live not quite near there, but about 15 minutes away, and it's T-H-R-O-G-G-S, Throgs Neck, and I right. I don't know whether there's a relationship, but thank you, Dale. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Well, okay, yeah, go ahead. I was going to do more, but... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Like, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Um, Keep going. Yes, uh, just over 10 years ago, I was on the traditional path of publishing with an agent, uh, with New York Interested, and a lot going on, but I did see the future. So yes, I am the savvy futurist because I saw the disruptive technology that was changing the entire industry and saw what was coming, shifted gears, and just over 10 years ago, got my uh, first book published, and now I've had 23 books out in the last 10 years, which people think I'm prolific, and I know people with a lot more stuff out. (laughs) Well, we're just going to officially say you are prolific. That's very, very impressive. Do you enjoy what you do, Dale? Does everybody enjoy? I love enjoy? what I do, and I oh, try it. to translate that and, and give that enthusiasm to other writers. I go, this should be fun. This should be your life's work. This is creation. You know, forget about the money and the fame and all the, and the depressing parts of it. Let's just focus on the good aspects of this and how independent publishing, better than self-publishing because you're picking your own team, independent publishing can make you a much happier person in Mm -hmm. control of your art. Thank you, Dale. I have a quick question for all of you. I recently discovered, oh, less than a year ago, talking to some of my authors who were Brits, that there there is a theory of there are pantsers and plotters in terms of people who are novelists, and some of you are nodding. So mm-hmm. a pantser is somebody who writes, by the seat of their pants, what are the, and Zoom they're wearing in here. Not, we don't ask that question. And a plotter is somebody, and I understand that Stacey Abrams knows how many hours a day she needs to write. She just published her seventh novel, yeah. this one under her own name, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Thing. Justice Justice Never Sleeps, I think is the name of it. Supreme Court International Intrigue. There's some biohazards in there and viruses and all that. And she plots out how many hours a day she needs to write to produce so many words. Uh, that's a plotter, not a pantser. So l- let's have a raise of hands here. Jeff is a writer. Dale's a writer. Eddie, I don't know if you write too. Eddie? Or, I, do, no. I, I do not write. Okay. So Barbara and Ursula, how many of you, which of you, who of you are a uh, pantser right by the seat of your pants? Barbara? I'm both, unfortunately. You're both. Yes, I'm both. I was going to raise my hand for both. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now let's do the second one. Who is a plotter? Ursula is a plotter. Plotting only. There you go. Okay, I was just curious about I was intrigued by that that term. I thought it was very interesting. Let's go to the opening quotes. You've all sent me very generously, sent me a movie quote, a song quote, a TV character quote. And I will read the quote in just a tiny bit of background. And let's keep it really, really tight and tell me what it has to do with our topic. Because I can't wait to get to predictions. But the quotes are fun, too. So Eddie Vincent has sent us a quote from Field of Dreams, 1989 American sports fantasy drama film, where an Iowa corn farmer... Here's a voice telling him, and here it is. If you build it, he will come, come, come. Eddie, what does this have to do? One of the most famous quotes in movies, actually. And people say, they will come. It's he will come. You got it right. So, Eddie, what is the significance of this to our topic today? Eddie Vincent. Well, the way I looked at it is if you write a book, you produce a book, people will find you, and that's how this relates. It's a way of getting people to know that you have a new book out there. Okay. And, and in terms of, let's just make that in terms of marketing. Barbara just told a story that I think it was Barbara. No, mm-hmm. Ursula told a story that somebody, oh. somebody found her uh, a book. Who said, who was the one who oh, said that? I did. 
It was Barbara. Sorry, Barbara. A book that yeah. it, it was from 2013, and the book was on a shelf somewhere, and he found it, and she mm-hmm. she got invited. Yes. So the question to chicken soup to, with the soul. So the question, Eddie, is uh, if you build it, how do people get that knowledge out these days? How do people get the knowledge out? I understand the marketing machine of big house publishers no longer works, except for the the very elite, like the Oprahs and the maybe the well, Obamas, that people have to do their own marketing. So Eddie, build it, and he so- will come. Go ahead. So if you, if you build it, they come, you have a product. Now, uh, mostly for self-publishing authors, it is a matter of doing social media throughout all the networking, having everybody share one another's posts. Uh, there is a community of self-publishing authors that, you know, they all share each other's stuff. And it gets into the feeds of their clients or, or their family or whatever and that just goes from there plus zoom readings there's a bunch of zoom readings for authors and and all of that gets it out there but it starts i think with social media thank you i would agree with you on that and that's why we're live on linkedin and facebook today because that's where people are right yes. let's go to ursula you're up next ursula sent us a quote stated by professor minerva mcgonagall love that name played by the wonderful maggie smith in harry potter and the philosopher's stone which was released in the u.s and india as harry potter and the sorcerer's stone a 2001 fantasy film and minerva mcgonagall is the head of gryffindor house the deputy head minister of of Hogwarts and the best dang I, I really got found that on Wikipedia. The best dang transformation teacher <laughs> the school has ever seen. Well good for her. Here's the quote. Five points will be awarded to each of you for sheer dumb luck. Wow, Ursula, where'd you find this one? It's been my favorite quote for a long time. But a little bit more about the scene. So the three the three kids, Harry, um uh, Ron and Hermione are on the, in the girls' bathroom, and they just kill a troll. All right, and Minerva, uh, Professor McGonagall comes in and says, five points will be awarded to each of you for sheer dumb luck." So they just killed a troll. So I think um, sometimes you have to take a chance and attack your troll, and <laughs> trust that you can overcome it. So some see success in publishing overall is sheer dumb luck, but taking the personal risk to go into self-publishing, looking at the reward over a period of time, not looking at the first book and all the learning curve that goes into that, but looking at the books over a period of time, the second and the the cumulative benefit of the third, fourth, and fifth, that's success. That's your five points. And I think that, you know, you need faith that you can master all of the topics involved with, Uh, self-publishing, that you can overcome that troll, the troll of self-publishing. So it's what makes a good book cover. It's um, finding good service providers like Eddie and Jeff. You know, how do you find a good editor? How do you um, understand your genre? How do you, what what means, uh, what's a good book design? All of these components are the self-publishing troll. And I think you need faith that you can overcome it and learn it. And I think that as you go along the path, like um, Barb mentioned, you know, teaching, offering courses, um, online seminars, uh, personal help for people going along that path, that can really add to your five points. And the bottom line for me is that the more you do to master self-publishing, really the luckier you get and the closer you get to those five points of success. 
Jeff Deck, you're up next. Thank you, Ursula. I appreciate the quote, and that might be one of my future favorite quotes from a movie. I appreciate that. Jeff Deck has quoted uh, Steve McCroskey, tower supervisor played by the wonderful Lloyd Bridges. I don't even know if he's still around. In Airplane, exclamation point, 1980 American disaster film genre parody film. And it's also called Flying High. I guess you knew that, Jeff. That's an alternative title to the movie. And here's the quote. This is interesting. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. Jeff, you got to rescue me on this one. I read it. You got to talk about it. Jeff Deck. <laughs> I, I did not know that alternate title. That's that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, I've always felt kind of connected to this movie. Uh, Came out the year I was born, uh, so I, I did not see it in theaters when it first came out. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think as uh, as people in this business, and particularly indie authors, we kind of feel like that overwhelmed guy in the flight control tower, like on a on a weekly basis, just with all these different new things that we have to learn just to stay on on top of the game. Like, oh man, you know, we've got to. Uh, do some marketing on Facebook now. We've got to figure out how to, um, you know, improve our, our email list subscription. We need to um, think about, oh, there's a, there's a new platform that Amazon is releasing called Vela. Uh, maybe we should have a story on that too because uh, that's going to be the next hot thing. Like there's always so many different things that we have to uh, keep on top of that uh, it just feels like, there's never enough time and uh, never enough illicit substances to keep us going. <laughs> so uh, it, it really, it takes a, uh, a, a really conscious effort to, uh, as like an author, just streamline your efforts and try to identify what, what are the things that are going to be the most effective to focus on and try to cut out some of the rest of it, some of the noise, like, the 80-20 rule, you know, you focus on the 20% of things that are going to get you 80% of the results. So, uh, so then you can, you know, you can have a healthier balance in your life. Uh, let's say that uh, you can focus on those activities that are the most productive and then have some, actually have some time off to spend with your family and uh, maybe just be able to, you know, leave the, the glue bottle on the shelf. Thank you, Jeff. I, I read in the beginning, yeah, the pandemic was a couple of months in last year, and I read that people were renting apartments in Manhattan to get away from their families. It was like a two, <laughs> like in the hotel, people were renting a, a furnished, very clean, cleaned between tenants on an hourly basis just to get a respite, to get away from being boxed up with families. This, of course, was in probably in the village in New York. And I thought that was an interesting sub-industry uh, uh, takeoff on Airbnb. But I need I need a quiet living room for two hours. Can I come and say, that? yes, that'll be $5,000. I don't know what. <laughs> okay, talk about capitalism. Barbara Struna is next. Barbara has picked another very favorite iconic line. It's from Chief Brody, played by Roy Schneider in the film. Is it Schneider or Schneider? I have Schneider. Schneider, Schneider thank you. Schneider. I was thinking of somebody else. Roy Schneider in Jaws, the 1975 horror film. <laughs> and he says it when he sees the shark for the first time. The line is you're going to need a bigger boat, but I read, Barbara, in my research that Daryl Evzanik, who was one of the producers, and the team that produced the movie were so cheap 
that this was a line that was said behind the scenes many, many times by the actors, by the production crew. You're going to need a bigger boat. Like, they didn't spend enough money to give us the infrastructure. We need to make the damn movie. So Roy heard this over and over, and he started injecting it into his lines mm-hmm. in the film ad hoc. And it was so successful. It became one of the most quoted lines in movie history, and they left it in the movie. They didn't cut it on the cutting room floor. So I love the line. You're going to need a big, we're going to need a bigger boat. Barbara, talk to me. What is this all about? Well, so oftentimes authors uh, complete their manuscript and it's wonderful and it's praised and everything. And then they sit down and they type the end and they say, now what? And so that's where you're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need someone that's going to take you through uh, a book cover. It's going to take you through how to promote it. Uh, It will take you through a formatter. Try to get it all right so that there's no mistakes. You're going to need an editor. And so all of these things come into play for this poor author who typed the end and they're just ecstatic. And now what do I do with it? And so that's where like Jeff and where and um, Eddie, they all come in with their, you know, to help this person along. And so oftentimes that is the biggest problem. It's okay to write that big book and it's an accomplishment to actually say, I wrote a book. But then when it comes time to have other people read it, they're stuck and they need a bigger boat. They can't do it by themselves. Most often, if you do do it by yourself, it doesn't always come out just right. Something's always missing. And that's where you're going to need a professional. And I see nodding going on around. I went to gallery <laughs> view. I see, I, Jeff, I noticed you nodding. Jeff, you want to make yeah. a comment about that, about what Barbara said? Oh, and no, I totally, yeah, it's, it's something I relate to, you know, both as, as an off, author myself and as a, as a service provider, like, you don't want to tackle all this stuff alone. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's going to be parts of the process that you're good at, and there's other parts that you're going to be better off uh, working with someone else, collaborating with someone else. Like, you know, if, if you're an amateur artist, like, you don't want to be the one designing your own book cover uh, if, you know, if you think that you found all the, all the typos and mistakes in your book, just by looking you at didn't. it yourself, you haven't, nah, no. uh, no. so you're really going to need some help. Thank you. Eddie, you want to make a comment on that? You're in that industry too. Well, I definitely think that having a team behind you helps you a, a great deal because you're a writer, right, right, right and right. And count on that team to put the rest together. Um, it's, it's all about teamwork at that point. It's just find the right team. That's really all I got. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara. That was very provocative. Um, okay. Ursula, anything you want to say about that? I'm going to go to Dale's quote next, but Ursula, you're nodding. Anything? I completely concur. Um, I do think though it behooves you, you know, in self-publishing to learn a little bit about those topics so you can tell whether a guy's a good formatter or not. So knowledge is is a good thing, even though you may not master everything. Thank you. Very good point. Very good point. Dale has sent us a quote from The Impossible Dream called The Quest, a song from the 1965 Broadway musical Man of La Mancha. You all pick such iconic movies and songs today. I'm just going to read this line. It's so beautiful. And Dale, just briefly tell us what it has to do with our topic today. The line is, this is my quest to follow that star, no matter how hopeless no matter how far. Oh, Dale, I get goosebumps here. I'll try not to cry. Dale Phillips, talk to me. Yes, that quote and that show has always meant something to me. 
It is the theme of always staying true to your vision, no matter what the world thinks, no matter the obstacles, the difficulties, be true to yourself and your vision. When I uh, got off the traditional path of publishing a little over 10 years ago to branch out in another territory, after seeing the future, people were telling me, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to make any money. You won't be successful, blah, blah, on and on. Well, 10 years later, I'm still here. I have a successful career and nobody's heard of these other people anymore. And I've heard so many other authors talking the same way. It is like we are carving our own path and people go, well, what about sales? I respond by saying, how many paintings did Vincent van Gogh sell? One to his brother. Do you think he was unsuccessful? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, in his lifetime, but dot, 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 his vision finally came through. And for us as creatives, it's not, well, to some people, it's about the money. To me, it's about making the art. And by independent publishing, I can create the art exactly the way I want to my specifications, my schedule, my design. And if somebody else wants to read it, I create books that I'm proud of and happy with. If other people wish to read that, that's terrific. Wow. Well, that kind of says it all. Uh, don't let other people float your boat, drive your bus, run your train, whatever it is. That's an interesting thing. If other people, I've been asked many times about how many, I used to do a TV show on public access TV in, in Great Neck, Long Island for years. And people say, well, how many people are watching? And I said, well, we don't get stats. We don't get cumes. We don't have anything because we are a branch of the local cable vision who doesn't want us there in the first place because it's a free channel and we get to broadcast just not to advertising anything. And they say, well, how do you know if you're successful? I said, well, I walked into a restaurant once and the waiter looked at me and said, I know who you are. <laughs> I got off work on Sunday night at one in the morning. I went home and at two in the morning, turned on my PA TV channel and you were on TV. I know you. I went to court to fight somebody who bought a car for me and forgot to pay me for the car. And one of the court clerks came up. Oh no, somebody tapped me behind in, in the sitting waiting for my for the trial to come up. And the person said, hi, I watched you on TV every Monday night. People used to stop me in the supermarket and say, I see, I did a show with my mom called Senior Moments, The Happy Ones. And people would stop me in the supermarket. People stop me in the, in the street and they'd say, how's your mom, Ruth? I'd say, who are you? Do we know you? They said, no, but we watch you on TV. We so I knew that people were watching. Did I need, Dale, did I need stats? Did I need a long list of right. spreadsheets? Right. No, somebody appreciated it, right? Somebody, and that that's an interesting point about are you making money on your right. book? And that's a whole other conversation. Anybody want to weigh in? We're ready for predictions, but anybody want to weigh in on versus I wrote a good book and I'm proud of it and it's out there versus I need to make a lot of money from my book. Any quick comments around the table? Um, just Mark? out of, I was going to say out of a, a quick thing, um, most self-published authors sell 250 books in their lifetime. Most okay. All of most authors sell all, right, right. Even traditionally right. published, the that's correct. Ninety-five percent of all books were only selling a few hundred copies, right. and that's so, when I looked at things like that. I said, "Well, I can do that." Yeah, I can do that. Right, what you know, I and they say, for? "Right," and a successful author can sell ten thousand. Well, I'm past forty thousand already, exactly. so I'm okay. I'm not making a lot of money, but I am. I feel confident that somebody likes them. Yep. <laughs> 
Yep, somebody likes them. That's exactly right. Let's go to the predictions. We've been doing a lot of predictions already along the way. That's why I like the quotes because we back into where you all see this going. Eddie Vincent is up first. Let's take uh, 90 seconds to two minutes for a prediction because we only have tw- about 18 minutes left and I want to cover at least two two per guest. So Eddie says, audio books will be a must-have for all self-publishing authors. Eddie, go. Uh, well, I say that statement because of what I see the trend being, uh, you know, most self-publishing authors, they only think of the paperback uh, and maybe the hardcover, but there is a new way of getting things done for audio. There's places like Findaway, AMX, and things like that, that do make it affordable for the authors to, to do audiobooks and audiobooks are on the rise. So in the future, you're going to have to add that to your mix. I, I'm a believer that you take your title and you put it out in as many formats as you as you possibly can. And like Jeff said about Amazon's new uh, platform, Vela, that's going to change the world on how people see things and, and read. Um, so I do think that audio is definitely on the rise right now. And, and you just have to put it in a stable of what you're doing. That, that's my belief anyways. Thank you very much. Let me go to prediction number one from Ursula. Next generation text to voice tools will allow writers to create good, in parentheses she put it, good audiobooks automatically and economically using just software and editors. This is provocative. Ursula, mm-hmm. talk to me. Yeah, I mean, same kind of ballpark as Eddie was talking about, but uh, from uh, a writer's perspective, from my personal perspective, I think that, um, you know, a lot of writers are are starting to do their own audio. So they're setting up a, a, a quiet room, you know, buying the mics and so forth, the stand and so forth. So you can do one for a hundred bucks all over the internet. But I think, you know, with the um, voice to text, so on your email, you can click a button and a voice reads your email for you. They sound very mechanical, but I think that next generation voice could potentially read your book and put it in a file that you, the writer, can edit and refine. And if you can even go to foreign language libraries, you can get potentially with this kind of automation, uh, automatic translations into French, Spanish, Lithuanian, Russian, whatever. And I think that, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a way forward where these better, audio, these better voice tools will be, um, you know, part of a, a writer's wheelhouse in getting quick and good audio books out to market. Thank you, Ursula. Very, very interesting. I'm learning a lot from all of you. Let's go to Jeff. Jeff Deck, first prediction. You say Vela will fail. Here's why. Jeff, putting you up on speaker view. Talk to me. Sure. Yeah. So platforms like Wattpad have been super popular in recent years uh, to allow, uh, you know, indie authors to basically put stories out into the world episode by episode, like scene by scene, piece by piece, and then uh, get uh, a reader following through that and have people react to each uh, episode as it comes out. And uh, Amazon is trying to capitalize on this with their own version of this called Vela that's uh, going to be uh, released 
pretty soon, probably in the next couple of months, they're already soliciting authors to um, you know contribute stuff for the platform where people will read stories episodically on their phone uh, and pay tokens to uh, unlock more episodes, like not just of that uh, particular story, but of um, you know any story on there. And so that's got a, a lot of buzz going right now in the publishing world. I think that Vela is ultimately going to fail because it's not um, bringing over one of what I think is uh, the key features of a platform like Wattpad or it's, uh, you know, uh, similar sites like Radish where readers can actually leave like uh, long like comments and reactions and feel like they're interacting with the author uh, in the middle of a story as it's going on and maybe even influence the author as to where the story is going to go next. And Amazon's version, Vela, is just going to, it's only going to allow readers to leave like a thumbs up or, you know, favorite an episode. And so I, I feel like Amazon has kind of missed that uh, key part of platforms like Wattpad and uh, that Vela is, it's ultimately not going to go anywhere, but I think it'll make a big splash initially. And uh, I might be trying to get into some of that, uh, you know, uh, piece of the market, like while it's still a new and exciting thing anyway, but. Thank you. Is that FOMO, Jeff? Do you know what FOMO is? I do. Yeah. Fear of missing out. You know, yeah. we, we, we all want to be like, you know, <laughs> part of the new hot thing, you know, whether yes. it's Dogecoin or, or uh, you know, Amazon Bella. <laughs> which, which saw a drop in price after a certain yeah. person mentioned it on SNL yeah. last Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Fear of missing out. They used to call it following the new, the shiny penny, the new shiny oh, object, yeah. right? That's what they yeah. used to in corporate terms. <laughs> oh, she's following the shiny penny. She wants a new thing. Yeah. Now it's FOMO. I'm glad somebody remember, recognized when I said that. I thought I was being really cool. I know what FOMO is. Okay. <laughs> so let's go. <laughs> it's my show. I'm allowed to be cool. Barbara Struner, I'm looking at prediction number two. This is something that's probably very near and dear to you. You say regional and local literary organizations will become more popular with the beginning or advanced writer author if the organizations are willing to adapt by offering a hybrid of virtual slash live events. This is a complex prediction. Barbara, talk to me. Well, as president of the Writers' Center, I can see uh, how uh, we have gained members through the pandemic because of Zoom. We have members that are coming from England, from Canada, and they're all becoming members and they never were before because they couldn't either travel or whatever. And people that just can't get out and they're too tired to drive, they can come on Zoom. And we've been offering literary presentations. In fact, Dale did one and we had, I think, 30, maybe 25 to 30 people, which is really outstanding for, you know, we, we get that, we would get that same number of people in person when we would hold our uh, presentations once a month. And in fact, we're doing our writers conference that always, it's one of the oldest conferences in New England, we're going to be doing it virtual this year. And we're going to still incorporate this hybrid, virtual and live uh, events, because um, they're just going to have more of an ability to participate and to learn. And, and, and uh, be, from the beginner to the experienced author. And this is really important, I think, because it does provide this camaraderie and this casualness that you can have when you meet with somebody that's looking for answers. And maybe you can give the answers over and above even the present presenter that's, that's presenting at that night. So it's, it's really important, I think, just like what we're doing now. Yep. We're being able to come together from all different parts of the country and, in, and yep. give some 
advice and intellectual conversation, huh, Bonnie? <laughs> Barbara, great point. And yes, yes, there are intellectuals among us. I don't count my, anyway. Um, <laughs> it's like crowdsourcing knowledge, isn't it, Barbara? It's, yes. It's saying get people together yeah, and, and right. let them contribute. And that's, that's right. a lot of what we do in the world is going. Let's go to Dale's prediction number two. He says, the few, this is interesting. Everybody listen up. The few remaining large traditional publishers will sell off downsize or drastically change their American publishing subsidiaries. The current foreign multinationals that control the U.S. publishing industry, ooh, want profit and predictability, so they want to divest. Dale, this is provocative. Go ahead, take about two minutes. Where are we going with this? Thank you. The horse and buggy was the predominant technology for hundreds of years because there was nothing better. The (laughs) publishing industry with the large traditional publishers was the same. That has changed in the past, say, 30 to 40 years. The model has completely been exploded with different technologies. The advent of print-on-demand, the advent of uh, distribution and creation of uh, easy e-books, and with audiobooks, as, as Eddie said, and the creation and distribution all over the world, 24-7, 365, has obviated the need for a large traditional publisher. All they can offer now is promotion. And that you don't need them to create your book, get your work out to the world. What you do is now uh, you need to promote that work. And the big publishers are doing it for a few at the top and very few others. So for independent publishing, once we've got that, and now with social media, we have a way of getting the word out across the world. So those multinationals rely on profit and the profit is diminishing in so many areas for them. They're not able to adapt to the different technologies. They're in the old world. And so they're falling by the wayside like dinosaurs. Thank you very much. That's an interesting note to anybody who wants to invest in publishing. Okay, let's move on. We're going to start round two of predictions. I'm picking predictions from each of you and check the chat for where we're going. Eddie Vincent is up next. I'm going to prediction number three. You say the quality of POD print on demand printing with equal offset printing or will equal offset printing, which will make it possible for self-publishing authors to offer quality coffee table books. I'm very interested in this, Eddie, because an upcoming guest on my Monday night, Read My Lips, uh, Cool Conversations with Creatives, I asked her to send me the e- an ebook, and she said, no, it's a beautiful, full-color, full-bleed <laughs> coffee table book. I'm going to mail it to you. And she shipped it, and she paid a lot of postage for it. It's a gorgeous book. But she said, I can't send you the ebook. So, Eddie, let's talk about that. Coffee table books, print on demand, where are we going? Well, uh, it's my belief that uh, most people that are doing coffee table books now are going with a traditional printer. You know, it might be in Canada, it might be in China. Uh, In America, it's really costly to do these types of books. Uh, Right now, places like uh, Ingram Sparks and, and KDP, they do color books, but the quality is not as quite up there as offset printing because offset printing is going to use glossy paper and it's going to look really sharp. I think that the technology and the paper and POD will change. I think at some point the POD printing process will, the inks that are used, the, the dot formation that is used will be able to be done on glossy paper. And that's what's going to bring up the quality for the coffee table books. So the technology isn't quite there yet to, to 
let the paper work for the the print on demand because right now the print on demand is pretty much just one or two types of paper and your ink kind of bleeds into the paper. So the four color process will just be better because they'll be able to have it on a better stock. And, and that's kind of where I'm going with. Thank you. And, and traditionally we want to be able to touch, feel, look at, even smell a coffee table book. Don't we, Eddie? We, we want yes. it to be a thing of beauty. I've always looked at books as how, what kind of paper and, and what kind of type and, and how are the pages laid out and, and is it, is it too dense and how does it feel? And when I open that book, does it, the spine crackle a little bit and how pretty is the color, the, whatever the design is on the front and the author picture. I've always taken it as almost a work of art before I even got to read the book appreciating the skill that went into making the book. But I digress. Let's move on. Ursula Wong, your next prediction number two. We've only got five minutes left of the show, so just keep it really, really brief. I'm going to try and squeeze in one per. Uh, Ursula, prediction number two. I predict, she says, an explosion of podcast books over the next few years. Ursula, talk. I'm thinking about this, um, you know, with what Jeff Dex said in mind, but I'm thinking about this from a different perspective. It's a new book experience that mixes audio, potentially visual and potentially reading. So the idea is, um, you know, leveraging writers, leveraging smartphones and, you know, video cameras, you know, these, this cheap equipment to um, maybe uh, record your reading of chapter one and then an audio of chapter two and then inserting this, um, adding along the side, an unusual conversation between two of the main characters or how you, the author, got to the point of writing the book. But I'm thinking of a whole package that um, just changes the book experience with um, different media that the writer can largely do themselves. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice to make some money off this in terms of a subscription service? So that's kind of, that's where I'm going, a different book experience. Thank you, Ursula. Appreciate that. We're getting that booming feedback there. Okay, Jeff Deck, prediction number three. Love this one. Great narrators are the next celebrities. Voice artist here, voice artist here. Jeff, go, <laughs> go ahead. Higher, higher, higher. Jeff, talk fast. Yeah, so this, this kind of goes in a different direction than what Ursula was talking about before with the you know text-to-voice technology. But I really feel like a, a good performer, there will never really be a, an, an adequate substitute for that. And so... Uh, already, I feel like you see some readers jumping into different audiobooks, trying books by new authors just because they like the narrator who is reading them and have already um, you know, read some of that person's other work for other authors. So uh, I feel like in the future, if you can really identify who are the, you know, the big like hot narrators and hitch your wagon to their star, you'll be able to reach a whole new audience for your book. Thank you very much. Let's go quickly to Barbara. I'm not even going to switch you on the screen because I'm scrolling here. Barbara, your prediction number four, the number of available books, I'm going to switch now. The number of available books will rapidly increase across the internet as self-published books blossom. The self-published will be able to produce a book for sale easier than ever before. Barbara, real fast, 30 seconds. Right. The, uh, I was going to say that uh, the, uh, even the traditional publishers will begin to offer options 
for self-publishers to come in and utilize what they offer, even though they're not going to offer them a contract. So they're going to get in on the game also besides that. So you could possibly, you know, have a little bit more trust. And also the online skills of people due to the pandemic have increased so that their uh, self-pubs are going to be more comfortable online. They're going to go forward. They're going to look into things and they're going to be, you know, uh, there's 900,000, 900 million books available that they've got to push and they're going to have to really learn how to do this. And I think they're willing to do it now that their skills are better. Thank you very much. And Dale, you get the last prediction because I think it's a good summary of what we've been talking about. Dale predicts the successful authors of the future will be the ones that can adapt to the dizzying changes yeah. in the publishing world. That's really a paraphrase of what Barbara yeah, said. Good. It will require effort to continue a writing career that becomes successful. Dale, 30 seconds. Talk. In the past, authors could do one thing and have a lifelong career. Now, in just the past 10, 15 years, it has exploded. I have professionals coming up and asking me for career advice. <laughs> and the most adaptable authors are the ones that are going to survive to the different platforms, the different distribution methods, and all the changes. They're the ones that will continue to be successful. Thank you very much. And I'm going to thank all of you for you are very successful at joining me today, sharing your insights, your knowledge. Eddie and Dale, thank you. You did a great job gathering interesting people, energetic people. It's all about engagement, right? I'm in the business of sharing people's opinions, their insights, their expertise with my audiences, wherever they are. Voice America Business, LinkedIn, Facebook. Soon I'm going to be trying to stream to YouTube. And my business is talking to really smart people. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's why I go to work. I work from home, so I'm not traveling very far. But I want to thank all of you so much. And just let me do a shout out here, of course, as I said, to Eddie and Dale for getting everybody together. Ursula Wong, pleasure to meet you. Jeff Deck, also Barbara Struner as well. And Eddie and Dale, you added so much to the conversation. A shout out to, again, Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinary, calls himself my sidekick. He used to be 12. Now he's 80, just working for me. <laughs> you don't even want to know what he looks like. Lost a lot of weight. He's 500 pounds. He's 24 pounds. No. Thank you for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future of now. And remember, very important, this is my message to the world. If people tell you the future is already here, I want you to raise that finger and wag it in them and say, no, that was yesterday's future. Right. Today's future isn't here yet. And we're all going to work hard to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye, LinkedIn. Bye, Facebook. Bye, Voice America. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh